All right. Welcome to Shut the Fuck Up. We are not done talking yet or again. Um, today is April 9th and we are in the middle of, or the beginning of, I guess, our COVID freaking pandemic. And Charlotte and I always wanted to talk to our friend Mike, my friend Mike, about beekeeping. He's an extraordinarily experienced uh, beekeeper and had his own business and lots of stuff. So welcome to the show, Mike. Thanks for having me, guys. You're welcome. So, um, Charlotte, did you want to start by asking Mike a few questions as our novice? Yes. Not only am I a novice with beekeeping, but also I just met Mike for the first time. So, yeah, welcome, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Okay. My first question is, how did you get involved in beekeeping? And how long ago was that? Well, my first exposure to bees was when I was a kid and um, just thought they were fascinating you know, really cool. And um, then, you know, I know I knew that honey was a, a, a vital part of my uh, anti-allergy uh, regimen because I would have really bad allergies and, you know, snot up and watery eyes. And so local honey is a traditional Greek uh, remedy for, uh, for, for allergies. And I'm Greek, so I uh, spent some years in Greece, on uh, in, in Athens, in the area, then also in the south of uh, Greece, in the Peloponnese, on my grandfather's farm, in the village, and you know that was just all part of the uh, of of life there. And so, um, over twenty, geez, what is it now? Twenty five years, twenty two, twenty three, someplace in there. I can't give you an exact timeline, but um, my at the time it was my girlfriend slash fiance. We moved into this house. And we were renters, <clears throat> and one day a swarm flew into the backyard. And one thing led to another, and I said, hey, mind if I keep bees? She said, sure. That swarm moved away. Oh, can uh, you explain really, what a swarm is? Well, that's, that's a long story. <laughs> a swarm is, uh, I'll give you the brief uh, understanding of a swarm. A swarm is a, um, basically a colony, a hive of bees, becomes honey bound and population bound. They become so packed that they have to split. And this splitting um, aspect is their procreation. This is how they split and they, they continue and grow hives throughout the world. You know, they, they, they expand their, their, their life. And so, um, sorry about that. Um, they uh, basically, a, the old queen leaves the hive and the new queen who is born stays in there and basically about uh, one third to one half of the bees leave with the old queen and what they do before they leave is they fill their bellies they have two stomachs they have a eating stomach and a digestive stomach and they fill uh, obviously a nectar carrying stomach they fill both of those with honey and they leave and they find a new home so when you see a swarm hanging from a tree, that's basically, they're in, um, they're at a rest stop along the highway looking for a new home. So oh, okay. we, we had that bee swarm stop in our yard on its way to finding a new home. And what they do when they're in that swarm situation, they're sitting out, sending out um, scout bees to look for oh, a hole in a wall, a, um, a flower pot that's upside down with a hole in the top or anything, anything they can crawl into and make a new home. So I just thought, these things are beautiful and fascinating. I said, Michelle, can I become a beekeeper? And she says, sure, you know, because I'm kind of an oddball anyway. I don't kind of, I don't work like other people. <laughs> I, I'm a product developer and start my own companies and whatnot. So this kind of fell right into that. And so um, that swarm left and I couldn't catch it. But another swarm came into the, into the neighborhood and I met a local beekeeper. Kurt Billiter, and he lived a couple blocks away. Unfortunately, we've lost Kurt. Um, he was a sweetheart of a man, uh, a German man, and uh, taught me a fair amount about beekeeping. And so, long story short, is uh, he said, I have a spare hive, do you want to buy it? So I bought it for a song, and it had two honey supers. Basically, it had a 75 to 100 pounds worth of honey already on it. So I was instantly in the honey. And um, he taught me a lot. And at that period of time in my life, I was working for Duraflame. Um, I had invented an orange oil-based charcoal lighter fluid, which is right there, um, called Duraflame Fresh Light. And I licensed it to them. And then they brought me on as a consultant. And I worked with them in their um, 
conversion of uh, waxed fire logs to natural wax fire logs. But in that whole time, I had a lot of free time and I was just in the hive constantly. So that's, that's how I got involved with it. I just, it just, it was like a fish to water. I took to it. I loved it. And, uh, and then also, you know, I'm sorry. I, can I ask you quickly now, where do you live, Mike? I live in the Saranap area of Walnut Creek. Do you know that? Oh, is? okay. Uh, yeah. I actually live like five minutes away from there. Ah, okay. So this is all happening in Walnut Creek, California. Gotcha. And that, and the thing is, is during that period of time, beekeeping was not a, a widely, you know, participated uh, home farming uh, uh, item. You know, people, it was, it was kind of the odd ducks would, would pick it up. It, you know, there's always a large, strange community of beekeepers. And so I can, I can attest to that <laughs> having been around some in myself. There, yeah, we're a little out there, right? They, oh, yeah. And in the early days, the people were really out there. Um, so the, 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 I joined the Mont Diablo Beekeepers Association. You know, there were sausage makers and plumbers and some lawyers and oh. uh, what else? Uh, um, kind of, can I just say something? Kind of off the grid, almost homesteaders, right? Oh, Am I crazy? Oh, no. Yeah, very much so. And everybody had their kind of unique spin to life. And so when I joined the club, there was probably... 50, 60 members. And um, it, it was a really small, fun, intimate group. And I got involved with a couple of guys who, and, and uh, this one lady who were just incredible mentors. And I would literally call them between one and three times a day because I was in the hives. I, I ended up getting two hives rather rapidly. Uh, and you're not supposed to, you, you go into a hive once every couple of days. You just don't want to disturb the bees. I was in the hive once every couple of hours. <laughs> I was bugging them nonstop and they were pissed at me all the time. But same were same with the beekeepers. Uh, they were they were just uh, they were going, Mike, okay, stop calling me. I, I've taught you everything I know. What else do you want? <laughs> so, I love them. I mean, it's great people. Right. So um, six six or seven years ago, I decided I wanted to be a beekeeper. And I told Melissa, my hairstylist, who is also Mike's hairstylist, and like most of our friends and most of our families and everyone, right, like a lot of people go to her. And he said, I'm a beekeeper. I will help you out. Um, and I did join Mount Diablo Beekeepers Association. And I bought my first nuke from Biofuel Oasis over here in, in Berkeley. Um, and then the following time I bought your bees at the um, Beekeeper Association Bee Day. Yeah, so I have had both and um, you're, they're all fabulous. It was fun. Um, you know, now that I think about it, I used to work with somebody who made honey. And if his name comes to me, I'll share it with you later. But he was the first person I knew. He was an engineer who worked with me at Terradyne. And he used to make honey and sell it at work. And that was like 20 years ago at this point. I bet he was a number. Well, this was in Walnut Creek also. And the name of the company is Teradyne. Mm -hmm. And I can picture this fellow. But anyway, I can't think of his name. But I guess, it, yeah, he, I'm sure he was a member of the Mount Diablo Beekeepers Association too. Um, just a tiny story. My, um, when I was small, my mother made friends with the Ukrainian um, beekeeper in New York, like in um, Rockland County next to New Jersey. And she brought us over all the time. And it was this darling man, Ira Sermak, and he made, he gave, he sold us honey, but he also treated people with apothery. He's like, yeah, people come over and get stung at my house because it's supposed to be good for us. So that was it's like a whole thing I started in my life with. I'm a honey addict. When I was buying honey from you only, Mike, before I, I got my own from being a beekeeper, I was eating a pound a week. Good for people you. like, how come you're not 400 pounds? I'm like, I don't know. I work out a lot, but like I eat a lot. <laughs> actually, honey actually helps with weight control. There's a lot of wonderful, you know, uh, anecdotal evidence of how it helps with dietary and diets and weight control. Oh, so, um, beautiful. The, the, you can't, this is the funny thing about honey and beekeeping and all that stuff is, is you can't actually say, oh, this is going to help you. The FDA does not allow it. But I mean, I, like I said, I'm Greek. There, honey is used for everything. I mean, burns, cuts, uh, you know, bad stomach, uh, 
you want to lose weight, you take a spoonful before bed at night, keeps your digestive going. I mean, there's hundreds of those little anecdotal things that, that are great. And so, um, you know, honey's good for you. So don't, honey does not contribute to weight gain as far as I'm concerned. No, no, I don't think so either. I just kind of thought I was, you know, greedy, a little bit selfish, but I don't care. It doesn't cost that much. Not at all. Not at all. Never greedy. Sorry, I got to turn that off. Um, so, do you have any more questions? <laughs> oh, yeah. I would, yeah, you know what? Okay, so that was good. Now, the next question I have is, what is the thing that you like best about being a beekeeper? That's very easy for me. I am a, I have a type A personality. I'm always going. I'm, a, you know, my brain's always going. I'm developing products. I'm running. I'm, I'm distracted. And the thing is, is when you open up a hive, I call bees double A. I'm type A, they're double A. Their <laughs> energy is up here and causes me to just calm down. My wife does yoga. She meditates. She does that. I ride my bike and I open up a hive. To me, that is pure bliss. And they, they, they work off of your energy. Um, they know if you're spazzing out because they'll sting you. I mean, I, I work in shorts and t-shirt in the summer. I don't even wear uh, a suit. And you go in there gently, and it, you know, control your breathing, control your heart rate, and just work with them. They're mellow. They love you. The smell that they have in that hive is just, it's intoxicating. Once, you're, once you understand bees, and there's the people that get it, and, and they get that, you know, they get caught by that, that whole idea of beekeeping and then the smell and it just captures you and then so I open up a hive I can just sometimes just a cup of coffee sitting out front of the hive in the morning the smell is just it's relaxing yeah. and then just their energy and watching them it just tells me that it, it just makes my whole body just mellow out I do Gosh, the same that is, thing that is very odd the same thing for you danielle right um there um i go out sometimes without opening the hive and i just watch them come in and out of their entrance and i'll put my my camera up and take movies and i started doing the slow-mo movies and then i put that on instagram it's hysterical because they like fall in the you know and they they bounce and they fall and they're upside down it's hilarious Good. and very relaxing i go everyone zen b moment and just slow down you're like ah oh. it is but I've got a, um, an angry, hostile hive right now. I wrote to the bee group um, because I really need someone to help me open. I don't mind beekeeping. I beekeep all the time. and I don't mind lifting. The, the, the boxes are 50 pounds, right? Right. But I don't, when they're, they're trying to sting me, I had an entire suit on and gloves. They climbed under the glove. Like they were definitely trying to kill me. So I need someone to help me. When was this? When? Mm-hmm. Two weeks ago, they're okay. trying to kill me. So yeah. Right now, you have to understand, this is the time, time of year that they are pretty not, as nasty and snotty. Uh, when um, mustard seed is blossoming, I don't know what it is about mustard. When they bring that into the hive, that nectar, they just are snotty. And, <laughs> you know, you can wait three weeks and open that hive again, they'll be super mellow. Now, okay. you can also, the, uh, the other option is, of course, going in there and switching out your queen. That's exactly what I'd like to do. And I was, I was trying to buy one. I reached out to a couple of people and then that really nice man from both of our groups, Diablo and um, Alameda, Jerry. I don't know Jerry. Oh, yeah. yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah. He said he would help me um, because I mean, I'm going to get hurt. It's not so much that I was saying that. It's not because I'm just, you know, get a few stings. I'm talking like I could hurt oh, somebody could because be. I could put the, the thing down and they could go sting my neighbors because they get so pissed off. So I just really needed I have a, a, a I can get you a queen next week if you'd like. Woo! I'm so glad we're having on the show. I, I need one at least to try that because it's more than pissy. It's like, it's bad. Nasty. They're nasty. Yeah, I've, I've had them. And oh yeah, they just bing, 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 bing. <laughs> they come at you like crazy. So Like my um, veil went all the way up to my face oh. and they stung me on my face because the thing had like pulled yep. back. And I, I, so I get stung on the lips and on the tip of the nose. You like should have seen me. I was like, um, I had them on my head. I had them like, I had bee stings everywhere despite that I was covered in a 100% covered suit. I was like, this is, this is crazy. Yep. 
Sometimes you got to use duct tape when you're that, that mean. You just got to start duct taping every opening that you possibly can. Right, right. And I, I did my legs. One of my zippers broken on my suit, and I was like taping my legs. And Bob needs to help me. I'd be like, hey, I can't do this. Yes. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah. So, oh, they, yeah. I, Charlie, Charlotte, do you have a couple more questions for, for me? Oh, yeah. And I'm really glad that you brought up mustard bean in bloom. Okay, because I had this question. I was talking to some friends who moved up into the Sierra foothills and they have a big property. And so they have a friend who's a beekeeper and he's been bringing his bees onto their property. And then in return, he gives them some honey. Well, okay, so as my friend tells it, recently he came to move the bees because supposedly bees are either allergic to the California buckeyes when they're in bloom or the flowers it's of poisonous. the California buckeye are poisonous to bees yeah. or something question they're mark. toxic actually that will it will kill a hive so what happens is um, you get uh, they'll they'll collect the it's actually the pollen they'll go get the pollen and bring it in <clears throat> they'll pack it into their cells and then also later on in the year, you have this incredible die off or you have this deformed wing issue. And it's because they're feeding the larvae. They, they make a thing called bee bread, which is a combination of, of nectar, excuse me, and pollen. And they, that's what they're feeding their young. And um, that causes basically birth defects. And I agree. so. And it will it will kill the the larvae. It, it, it's it's a horrible situation. Um, so here's the thing about people who do a lot of pollination and they're migratory. Um, when you have stationary bees, the bees know the flora and fauna of the area. Okay, they know to stay away from buckeye. That, yes. that thing okay. is, there should be enough blossoming. There is sometimes a dearth in the area, which is a lack of nectar in a period of time. And then they, bees will go to the nasty plants. And what you want to do is, is those migratory bees will just go to anything. They're, they're opportunists, you know? So they'll go to those, to those plants that are not beneficial to them they, because they don't really know different. It's like us going on a hike, uh, say in South America, and we start eating berries. We don't know if those berries are good, but if we know that we know the berries that are good around here when we go on a hike, you know, it's the same type of situation. So that's why he moves them. He's a migratory beekeeper. Um, and that, that has its own set of problems um, and issues. But uh, that's why your friend has this, you know, he moves his bees off her property. Well, that really is interesting because I thought I was having the feeling of like, why would the bees not know it's poisonous? And you just explained it. Yeah, because they, you know, it's just like us. We know what, we know our neighborhood. We don't know, you know, the flowers in another neighborhood. Well, yeah, tell me a little bit more about migratory beekeepers. Okay, there's, there's a variety. Those are the large commercial beekeepers. So uh, migratory, so Diane, uh, Danielle and I, and I are right at this point are hobbyist beekeepers. We have bees in our backyard, mm -hmm. a couple of locations, and we leave them there. We don't move them for pollination. So <clears throat> in the beekeeping world, in the, in the honey and beekeeping world, um, the most profitable aspect of beekeeping is pollination. Moving bees from all over the country into a crop. Uh, it's been told to me the largest migration of any living creature in the world is the migration of beehives into the Central Valley for uh, almond pollination. You know, it's the largest crop in California and they move around three million hives into the into Northern California uh, just to pollinate almonds. So uh, let's just say a, a decent sized colony has 40,000 bees. 40,000 times, you know, 3 million. You've got a lot of bees there. I won't do the math in my head. Sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> these guys move them into the, into the almonds and, and they get between 150 and $225 per colony for a set period of time for them to pollinate during the blossom of the, of the almonds. Once they leave the almonds, they go to the secondary fruits, which are gonna be um, stone fruits and uh, cherries. And then they go to, you know, after those are done and the pay scale goes from almonds being the highest and they slowly go down. And then you, you do melons, you do safflower, you do a lot of other things and, and they go down in price, you know, 
$20, $30 a hive for four or five weeks. And they put them in those, in those uh, situation. Now, it's a love, for me, it's a love-hate relationship with those, with those guys. I love them because, hey, we love to eat. You know, we love to go to the grocery store, even with our mask and gloves on, to get our fruit and all our food. And if it wasn't for those migratory beekeepers who are pimping out bees, you know, uh, we, would, we wouldn't be eating like we, like we are. However, the part that I hate is because of that migration, it's part of the whole aspect of this colony collapse disorder, which puts stress on the bees. They feed their bees because we're going into monoculture and they have to feed them high fructose corn syrup or a variety of different types of sugar syrups with supplements. And they say, oh, it's just like real nectar. Well, then give them real nectar. You know, it's, you can't do that. But um, then, you know, they develop diseases, uh, nosema, which is bee dysentery. They have parasitic mites, the varroa mite, the, the tracheal mites. There is uh, fowl brew. There's so many diseases now that the bees are impacted by. And this migration of bees, putting them on a truck and moving them halfway across the country, or even just down the state, um, puts a lot of stress on them. And then feeding them garbage and then trying to treat them. You got to put antibiotics in the hive. You got to put, um, for example, the parasitic mite. You actually have to put a pesticide in the hive. So you're trying to kill a bug on a bug. Oh. So oh, it's, it's, it's pretty rough. And then they're spraying their crops, right? So the bees are going to crops that have been sprayed with fungicides, pesticides, herbicides. You know, they're bringing all that. So there's a huge load on the bees. And that is unfortunately the life of a migratory beekeeper. He has to manage those elements, you know, he doesn't want his bees to be sprayed while they're spraying a crop and there's that's that timing. And of course, yeah. I've seen that happen many a time where they get sprayed and all, you know, a couple hundred hives are, are decimated because of the, you know, miscommunication of timing. Um, right. So these micro, but the thing is, again, it's a love hate. We need them, but I'm, I'm, I'm saddened to the fact that they have to do this um, and stress the bees out. And one of the solutions on I saw at a at a conference one time was a a very large commercial beekeeper, thousands and thousands of hives, and he said, "It's not me, a single beekeeper with forty thousand hives. It's going to save the bees. It's going to be forty thousand beekeepers with one hive in their backyard, because we're not going to move them. We're going to have biodiversity in our backyards with swarming and all that stuff that comes with it, and so." And, and, and wildflowers that are out there and also neighbors that are planting and hopefully not using pesticides around their neighborhood. So I hope I answer your question about the migratory beekeeper. Those guys are also the ones that provide us with um, the honey that is like orange blossom honey um, mm -hmm. or clover honey or um, blackberry honey. Again, those are because they've moved their bees into those locations. What they've done is they have a monoculture. So now bees are eating all oranges for four to six weeks. You know, as we know, we can't do that. So it can't be good <laughs> for the bees either. So they're not getting nutrition. But again, without the bees, we wouldn't have any citrus. That's so right. it's, it, again, it's this love-hate. It's, 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 it's good, bad. And so Mike, I have a question. Um, can you talk more about bees and the, um, you know, the crisis that there are so much less of them. Will we ever be able to do that? Will enough home beekeepers around the world, can we increase population? I think we can increase population on a, on a neighborhood basis, you know, in a city and urban. We'll never be the ones doing the, the work of the pollinators in the mass crops. And it's just, that is a completely separate world. You kind of act, it's actually, a subculture of the bee world and those guys will always just do that we I, I i do feel strongly that if we participate in backyard beekeeping we are at least doing something to increase the population um you know as as backyard beekeepers we do let our bees swarm sometime and that good you know allows them to go into a hole in a tree someplace which then offers local pollination and and you know things like that so it's i believe we won't solve it but i think we are contributing to its benefit right and and here's another thing though to remember that 
you know, we, we, we want these bees in our neighborhood here in North America. Well, you got to understand, bees are actually considered an invasive species to North America. There's never honeybees here before, you know, settlers came. But now we really want them. And the thing is, is we also have to contribute to our native bees. You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't talk about our native bees. You know, in Northern California, what is there, 1,200 different type of native pollinators? And because we are not giving them enough natural habitat to, you know, forage and live, we're decimating them. And our, you know, every time we go to Home Depot or any, any of our, you know, garden stores and get pesticides and herbicides and, and spray our gardens and kill our weeds, it's, you know, it, it's unfortunate because we are, you know, contributing to their demise. That's right. So. Yes. Well, I, that's one of the reasons why I started beekeeping was this like naive idea that I could help somehow besides that I wanted the honey. And I got to tell you, my first hive just crap. They died so quickly. I had no idea what I was doing. Probably, I don't like, like, I don't even know what went wrong. And then this, but then ever since I've been doing well, but I only have one or two hives. Um, and I, that's good enough. Oh my gosh. It's like the whole neighborhood. I don't know how many beekeepers are right around here, but there's a bunch, right? But like I walk anywhere, there are bees in everyone's gardens all year. Because it's because it's Oakland, we got eucalyptus, we got crazy stuff all year. Unless it's raining, they're flying. Yeah, exactly. And that's that I mean, that's the nice part is that you know, there's so many it's you know, that is evident in our club population. Look at the Monkey Keepers Association. Huge we went from like what is it, sixty, eighty members to well over four hundred members. I mean, the Alameda Beekeepers Association is over 300 members. I remember them when they were just tiny little organizations of just kind of freaks doing a freaky thing. And now it's, you know, hey, if you don't have bees and chickens, you're nobody. <laughs> also, people are just so kind, like not just um, like several people have helped me from Mount Diablo. Um, I've used Mike Vigo some and I paid him to do stuff like move them. I, am not, I moved them, my bees, when they were small. And then they were like huge. I'm like, I am not moving this hive. And I walked 30 stairs. Oh, and like he had these like really cool things to carry them in. Yeah. Um, uh, and then just people are just really helpful and like to, um, they like to, I was going to say mentor, but you know what they do do? And this is absolutely true. Charlotte might not know this. If you ask a bee, uh, 10 beekeepers a question, you'll get 11 answers. 12. <laughs> 12. You're like, what? Are you like you, you, they and long dissertations about what you should do? And I'm like, oh my god, just someone come and tell me what to do, and let's just do this. So, I don't want my bees to die. Is I this because that, are it, it, bees so complicated, or is it that it's kind of taught word of mouth, like you know, just people mentor each other, and everybody's got slightly different ways of doing yes, it? Yes, yes, and to all of it, but also I, I like to call beekeeping, and it's being it's called an art. And everybody has their own style, you know, and I kind of have followed styles of a buddy of mine, Major Brunzel. He's a, a plumber who taught me, was one of my mentors, and thank God he's still around. And Steve Gentry and, and you know, Ma uh, Marilyn Mangle and Kurt Billiter, they all had their different ways. And I you basically have to accumulate this knowledge and sift it out to what you think applies how you want to work it. For example, I, I'm a natural beekeeper. I do not use any sort of uh, chemicals in the hive. And that's what made my business successful, and I, you know, my honey business successful, is I have a philosophy on humane treatment of bees. You know, I believe in only wildflower honey. And that is, it, it, a lot of people don't believe in that. I mean, and just it's just how they want to take care of their bees. And then it, it comes down to the simple way of how you stack your boxes and what direction do you want to put them in. Bees have a things that they like that that are universal. And we also, as beekeepers, we have to recognize they've been around a lot longer than we have. And, they, and they're going to survive without us um, if we weren't around. In fact, they'd probably do a lot better. But the thing is, is, you know, everybody's got their unique style of tweaking and making it comfortable and and decision making in the hive and you know there's some just basic laws you know yeah hey and mike I, what about if duke is beekeeping considered animal husbandry like are we using hive for their food are we helping them because we gave them a home i can't decide 
all of the above. I, I'd say yes and no. I mean, the feral hives or the, a lot of the feral hives come from, you know, uh, genetically modified bees or packaged bees that we buy from, from breeders. But, you know, those, those develop on their own out there. And that's, the, but, you know, you know we're, as backyard beekeepers, I wouldn't say we're doing animal husbandry. I mean, we're just, we're, it's just like having chickens, you know, uh, I've got chickens. It's just nice to have chickens, you know, it's just really nice to have that. But if you're turning it into a business, then you're, you know, it's, it's a husbandry of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, I could never figure out exactly how to say that. Oh, see, I, people said is honey vegan. And I said, well, I guess so. But you know, there's like these little bees and you know, they get squished. Like I'm, I'm doing my thing and you know, be like a couple of bees okay. die here. So I was like, I don't know if it's vegan. I've had many a conversation and then my sister-in-law has turned recently <laughs> to vegan. And, and this is an argument. There's some vegans that say it is because all it is is nectar that's been fermented out of stomach juices. And, you know, you can't get more natural than that. But yes, unfortunately, bees do die in the process. But they're going to gonna die anyway. Little bees are doing their thing and they're going to they die every 30 days, right? Doesn't a bee I, live? Exactly. Yeah. But I don't want, I don't ruthlessly go in there and want to destroy the bees. I keep them alive. And if you're a vegan, you're cutting down plants that have bugs in it and you just killed a bug killed to cut down a plant. So, you know, it's, there's got to be a balance. And, and where, where I see is, is if you're a vegan, you just have to make that personal choice. I do not say we're exploiting the bees. They're producing it. We are giving them extra space and giving them um, extra love in a home. You yep. know? And, and protection, right? If, they're, if, it's, if it's like the fall season and they're going to get invaded by other bees, we make their entrance smaller and we protect them. Like, we, you know, we look out for our little bees. They're, exactly. Yeah. You know. Well, you guys, this is giving me so many things to ask you. Okay. First of all, you guys talked about being in the hive or opening the hive. What the heck does that mean? Like how big is a hive? So basically you have, you. it depends on what type of style of hive you want. Now that, when I started beekeeping, there was no styles of hive. There was just one hive. There was the, the Langsworth hive. It's a standard white box that you see out in the field. Okay. Yes, yes. 19 uh -huh. by 20. With my house. Think of that. It's just a little, it's like a square box house, right? And sure. um, so that's the Langsworth hive. There's top bar hives and there's Warre hives. There's a bunch of different hives. But the thing is, the bees are doing the exact same thing in all these different physical configurations, okay? So what I, when I go into a hive, I, there's basically the white box and you have a lid. You can have a telescoping lid or you can have what's called a migratory lid. The telescoping has a lid inside of a lid. And just basically, it's just a type of ventilation and style. You open it up, and so you basically peel it open. And what they've done is they've waxed it. They put a lot of wax in there, and they have propolis. So bees make several items in the hive. They make honey, wax, propolis. Now, propolis is basically sap that they've modified, and it's bee glue, and it's also a disinfectant. They, um, they produce uh, royal jelly. Okay, and that's uh, it's, uh, basically it's a glandular excretion from the head. And what am I missing? Uh, pollen. Pollen. And those, oh, are, pollen. Those, yeah, mm -hmm. those are the items they make, they produce. Um, so when we open the hive, is you peel it open, they've propolized these, anything that's a draft, they'll propolize the draft and they'll seal it and they'll use it. They'll chew it open to want a little more draft or seal it up. They'll create their own little, you know, their own personal HVAC system, how they want to keep it warm or cool in that hive. So we peel that open. Um, and the first thing you do is get this beautiful aroma. Now, if you get a nasty aroma, you know there's something wrong in there. Uh, there's a thing called, uh, you pro Diane, you probably never. Foul brood, never had it. Foul brood, okay. No. Open up, I've, I've had to help a beekeeper who had foul brood. You open it up, it smells like rotten, dirty socks. It's the most miserable shocking smell, especially when you open up your hive and it's just this beautiful sweet smell that you're so used to. Because you're getting more than honey. You're also getting the bees fanning, which is a, um, is a warning signal and kind of smell this lemongrass smell from them because they excrete a, a pheromone, a warning pheromone. So you've get, you get all these wonderful smells. So when you open a hive, that's what you're doing. You peel it open. Now there's frames inside this, these boxes. You can have two frames deep, you can have two deeps, now, deep is a, the box. You have a deeper box on the okay. bottom and the frames inside, which are 
10 alongside or eight. Hanging and, vertically. Exactly, hanging vertically. And what that is, is that is we're giving them the foundation, the infrastructure for the bees to build upon so we can have an orderly way to open the hive. If you did not have that, bees would put in just beautiful swirly comb, but they all be hanging vertical. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it, it's called burr comb and they get all kind of wonky in there. But what we've done is we've given them these beautiful 10 frames or eight frames, depending on the size of the box you have. And it gives us a way to <clears throat> access the frames or access the, the hive in a orderly fashion to inspect, to retrieve honey if we wanted to. And when we inspect, we look at the brood pattern, at the pattern that the queen is laying eggs. Is she laying more drone eggs, which are unfertilized males versus uh, worker bee or, or fertilized eggs? Uh, is the pattern great? Is she missing spots? Is she, because you can tell by these little techniques that how the queen is laying the eggs, her wellness. So there's a lot of um, interesting ways to, to examine this thing and you get a lot of information. So they're basically giving you data, raw data that you have to inspect and, and, and use, it, use all your senses, visual, touch, smell, everything. And then on top of that, you get that spiritual sensation of working the bees. So it's kind of a, a double whammy. It's so awesome. Outdoors. What's that? So I, it's awesome. I was just gonna say it's the same for me when I had my gentle bees, which was this hive when I got it. I just went in there and opened it with nothing protective on and was like, Phew. and they were so cool. So over time they got some wacko queen. who's really, really not so basically, nice. Basically she, the uh, new queen, uh, swarm queen, or, you know, the hatched out new queen mated with a drone who, whose genetics was nasty. And that's what developed the nasty. Right. And then, so they, you know, Charlotte, we just like when bees, when their queen is copacetic and everyone's nice, they're just like, oh, yay, it's you. You open the hive. I'll just buzz around you nicely. And when they're not, they're just protecting, even with the smoke, right? I have my smoke and I'm trying to like, relax. No, I open this thing. They're flying at me. I become completely sweaty. It's a whole bad cycle because they're scaring me more, as much as I'm scaring them. It's just like that. And they can yeah. smell that you're uptight and all that. I know. At it's that circular. point, you yeah. just start smoking a ton more. You, you get as much smoke in the air. <laughs> no, and then I'm putting it back together because I'm afraid. And I come back to the house and they follow me in the kitchen and I've got them like in my, you know, hair. And then I get stung later because there's actually one on my ankle. I didn't realize it. Like, okay, so thank goodness I'm not super allergic because I just get big welts. I don't have anaphylactic shock. But yeah. wow, I have some like, Nas I have pictures of all my stings. I take them, so I'd be like, blah, blah, like on my throat, and I have my phone in my hand because I was like, if I get stung in my throat and there's nobody home, am I supposed to call nine one one? So I was just like waiting, and I go, oh, my throat didn't close up. Awesome. You guys, this, I'm telling you, this is terrifying. But are you <laughs> telling me it's not? It's fun. No, it's fun. No, wait. Okay, back to the queen. Okay. It sounds like the queen has a big influence on the tenor, the personality oh, yeah. of the hive. Oh, that, yeah. That's very unusual. I just, that shocks well, me. Well, think about, think about the Queen of England, you know? The well, I was queens. thinking about the Queen. Yes. I mean, they, 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 she, she sets the tone. Look at the president. He sets the tone. The leader of that realm sets the tone. She's she. No. Th th that's where the term queen bee came from. Like queen you're the bee. queen, you rule everything. You know, or someone's the queen bee. It's like the cute thing, but it's really true, literal. Yep. So when you take out the queen, okay. So like if if Danielle gets rid of the current queen and chops off her head and brings in the new queen, that. You're just going to have to wait and find out if the new queen is in a no. good mood or will you already know that? Okay, so I will be, I have a friend who I buy bees from for the Mount Diablo Beekeepers Association. You know, he's, he's a breeder. And so we buy packages, which is a box of bees, three pounds. And in that three pounds, there's a can of sugar water to keep them fed while they're in transportation and held in this box. And then there's a little box like this, which is called a queen cage. You get either this or this is another little queen cage. And you transport and, queens. So this is well, a little Hang on a second. I'm going to describe this for our listeners. Gosh, this is a very small little plastic container. The other one is what? Wood? Wood. Wood and, and wire screen. And they're like, what, 
two or three inches long, one inch across. Maybe. And queen bees are placed in these with attendant bees. So most of the time they have attendant bees that are, you know, supporting her. And at while the, she's at the court, her. just like courtiers yeah, just at the queen's court. court. Exactly. And so she can stay alive in here if she's what's called banked, put in a hive in this without releasing her for about a month. But what, for example, I will get Danielle one that looks like this. And she will pop this little cap off. And uh, there's going to be a queen in here with a couple attendants. And there's going to be this there's up in this area. It's going to be a combination of um, caro syrup and uh, powdered sugar. And it's called queen candy. And we plug that up. And this little one-inch tube is basically a time-release bomb. It takes them three to seven days to chew through this candy. And once they chew through the candy, they get to the queen. Now, there's a couple things you need to do prior to this if you want to introduce a new queen into the hive. You have to find your old queen and you grab her and you smash her against this cage. And the reason why you do that is you've just smashed her pheromone onto this cage where there's a new queen in here releasing her pheromone, different smell. So now it takes about two to three days for the old queen's pheromone to dissipate where the new queen's pheromones starts to blossom and they start to accept her as that new smell. And by the time they eat through that one inch of candy and get into the queen, they have now accepted her. And they say, okay, you're now our new adoptive mom. Now in 30 days, basically, all those bees that are in the hive <clears throat> who want to kill her in the first moment she's put in there, the first couple of days, will be dead anyways, because she's gonna be laying eggs and she's gonna replace them. Oh gosh. Not 30, it's, well, it's, 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 it's four to four to six weeks is a standard worker bee life, lifespan. Right. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting. So, okay, now can we just review from like second grade? <laughs> there was like the queen, the drones. Are the drones the same as the worker bees? Uh, no, or well, the... okay. So, okay, we're, this is just beekeeping 101. <laughs> We are just scratching the surface here on beekeeping. And I'll tell you this much before I get too far along is, is there is so much detailed information about beekeeping that you just want to forget most of the time and just deal play with the bees. But I, I keep, and here's the thing is I've been doing this over 20 years and I'm still learning stuff all the time. And if you're not learning, you're not beekeeping as far as I'm concerned. And even if it's just one little tidbit there, here and there, and you've got your routine of working the bees. So anyways, let's go into the basics. There's three bees in the hive. There's the queen and there's only one of her. There is the worker bees, which are the females of the bees. And that comprises of 99% of the hive. Okay. So I always tell kids when I go into school and I bring bees in, there's girls are, are the primary, you know, element of the hive and they're the superheroes of the hive. Because lastly, you have drones. And there's basically one drone per thousand worker bees, okay? And they are male. And they just don't do a whole lot. They sit around the hive and their goal is to basically go out and fly whenever they can to find a virgin queen to mate with. And only one in several thousand males will find a virgin queen to mate with. Most of the time they Especially will Especially in this day and age. Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> dive, promise, Katie. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, you know, it's and the thing is, is a queen will only fly once in the beginning uh, after she is she's born. Within two weeks, she'll do a mating flight, and she will only fly this one time to mate, and she'll mate with up to seventeen partners, and she will have enough sperm packed away to live. A maximum of five years. They say eight, but I don't think I've never seen a queen live much beyond five. And um, so, what happens is is the queen goes out, mates with these drones, right? And the and and during the mating process, you know, they mate in midair. The male's genitalia explode, literally pop, Sorry. and they fall to the ground and die with a smile on their face. However, yeah. the rest of the male drones are dying frustrated males in the hive or they're in the fall time where they do not they, they're not welcomed in the hive they're kicked out and they die of exposure 
and the only survivors in the wintertime are worker bees. Now, <clears throat> the queen will go and lay eggs, and there's differing numbers of between 1,500 and 3,000 eggs a day in the peak of the summer. You know, July is kind of the peak of, of the season. They're building right now. They're ramping up. So that's why you have a lot of swarming right now. So they're, she's laying so many eggs. And the thing is, is the reason why the queen is laying so many eggs, she wants so many workers so she can fill up her hive with as much honey as possible because they need to eat it for the wintertime. Sometimes they get too big, too fast with population and honey, and that causes a swarm. But so she's laying eggs. And remember, she lays a thousand eggs and those are fertile eggs. She can choose in her body to lay a fertile egg or an infertile egg. The infertile egg will be the drone. The fertilized egg is the female worker, okay? Now, here's an interesting thing. Every one of those female workers has the ability to lay eggs, but they will all be sterile male eggs, unfertilized, because they are not queens. Now, this is the process of creating a queen. A Freshly laid egg within three days needs to be fed royal jelly, okay? And that is basically secretions coming from the head and of, of the worker bees. And they secrete it and they spit it into the cell. And it's this, this creamy white stuff and this little larvae eats it. And it causes a genetic switch to go off in any one of those fertilized worker bee um, eggs or larvae. And that causes that specific worker bee larvae to turn into a queen. It will hit this genetic trigger. And basically what it does in, in basic terms is says, okay, you're gonna have huge ovaries. You're gonna produce ovaries, okay? And mm -hmm. so they turn into these long uh, abdomen bees. And the reason why they have this long abdomen is they wanna be able to put their, their, their abdomen into the cell all the way down to the bottom where they can lay an egg. Now, if your hive loses a queen and they do not have the they, they weren't prepared to, um, uh, to replace the queen and they do not create a new queen cell. Basically, they take a standard egg and they feed it royal jelly and they grow this big, looks like a, a peanut. So it gives it a bigger size cell for these queens, to, for their bodies to grow. If they don't do that, you're gonna have what's called a hopelessly queenless hive. And all of a sudden these worker bees will start saying, hey, we have no queen here. I'm gonna start laying eggs, what the hell? And the thing is, is you can tell that you have this kind of hive. You may have a ton of brood or you have a ton of eggs in there. They're all drone cells. And these drone cells, they build. They, they stick up more. They're they fatter. Stick up, they, look, they have a little cap on. They have a little dome on each one of those. Well, you look in a cell and that worker bee's abdomen isn't long enough to put an egg on the very bottom of the cell. So they're all along the side of the, and they'll put multiple eggs inside of a single cell. And they're on the side. So you know that you have a, queenless hive. Anyway, so getting back to the queen, she has a long abdomen and that's for her to lay eggs. So they will produce a couple of queen cells at a time. And um, in a swarm situation, you may have multiple cells hatching at the same time. And what happens is they're releasing a pheromone and then the old queen releases a pheromone and she gets the, the hive riled up and half of it will leave with her. And then the other bees that have just had, the other queens that have hatched out will find each other and fight until the, the strongest one survives, you know? And, or say the, a queen has a broken leg in a standard course of, of, and she's not doing well in laying eggs. They will produce a new queen cell out of one of her eggs. And then right before that queen's hatching or right when she's hatching, the other bees, the worker bees will come and sting her to death and it's called balling the queen and get rid of her because they'll, you know, kill the queen, God save the queen. You know, she's- God save the queen. Yeah. So, you know, it's a little kind of a Shakespearean, you know, tragedy going on in the hive at all times. And then um, the thing is, is this, so now you have the queen laying eggs. She lays mostly worker bees. The queen from egg to hatch is 14 days. Okay. Okay. So it's rather rapidly. Yeah. Then, she, you know, it's, if she wants to lay worker bees, worker bees have 23 days. So they just ate for 23 days. And then drones are, uh oh, did I get my combinations? No, drones are a little shorter. I, I'm, I'm getting my, I forget, sometimes I forget my, uh, my timing. But basically, I think drones are a little bit longer. And, um, but the thing is, there's very few. And the drones, when they emerge, they 
they don't do anything. They just sit around. I say they sit in their white beater t-shirts, expect to be fed and watch TV all day until they decide to fly and try to get laid. That's, that's what they do. So and attractive. The, yeah. Right? It's really like a strong, you know, turn on for a lot of people oh. like that. <laughs> it's, horrible. it's horrible. I mean, they're just lazy bastards. They just sit around and do nothing. So, but they have their duty, right? But right. the worker bees come out, this is what worker bees do. I mean, they're born, as soon as they're hatched, as soon as they come out, the first thing they do is they turn around and clean their cell. They're tidy. And most bees, well, all bees, are, are born without knowing what to do. And they are educated from the moment that they're hatched, or they're, they, they emerge from the cell. And they are the hardest working, most industrious, amazing creatures, because they'll spend the first couple weeks of their life in the hive, cleaning, feeding the young, fanning um, the, the, the moist uh, nectar to turn it into uh, honey, to remove the nectar, or remove the moisture out to reduce its moisture content, producing wax to seal the cells. They're doing everything for about two to three weeks. Then they do a little guard duty in front, you know, protect the hive from any strangers. And then the next thing you know is they're the ones that are going out to fly. And they're the ones flying collecting pollen and nectar and they're bringing it back. They're just working, working, working. And then this is how selfless they are, these worker bees. They will, if it's during the day, they will fly away and die elsewhere because they don't want to burden the hive with their carcass. Where the male oh, bees are just dying. I didn't realize that. Yeah. And then in the but if they oh. die at night, you know, they'll just get dragged out, you know, bring out your dead. They'll bring out the dead. And you always have the birds first thing in the morning eating all those dead worker bees that, you know. I got, I got the blue jays who know to come over and eat dead stuff. And the, my, right now my nasturtium got really high up in the, um, next to the hive entrance. And I, I really can't go pick them out because I'm afraid of them. But so the little, so either dead bees or just sort of like, and like they're not so healthy right now or like crawling on the yep. nasturtium in the morning. So the, the bird's like. Pow. Yep. <laughs> when so you have cute. multiple eyes, it is just, it's a morning feast. You just watch them. I know. Hey, I have a question just to, um, just because I've always wanted to know what people think of this. Why do you think a bee cell is a hexagon? Like how did that come about? You know, it's efficiency of space is oh. what it comes down to is because it fits perfectly together. And if you look at them, if they just had round, you know, there'd be space. Oh, yeah, they'd be, they would, they would be a waste of space. Okay. Cause and I, there's I, a mathematical, I don't know what the mathematics, there's a, there's, I did a, a thing in a math class with honeybees and, you know, beeswax. And I forget, <laughs> it was in middle school. I did it for a middle school teacher a long time ago. And, you know, here I can't even remember what it was called, but there's a mathematical pattern to the hexagons that works beautifully in the multiples and, and, and fitting uh, okay. so. Yeah, because you know, that weird um, uh, in Mammoth, down by the mountain down there, yes, there's a um, I was just thinking devil's that. post pile. Post -pile. Devil's and now I've seen that twice. So I just saw that, I saw it in Mammoth, which is the, the lava cools just into yeah, a, the, the lava hexagon. Cooled. And then mm -hmm. I just saw one in Armenia. I went to Armenia in the fall mm -hmm. and it's like part of the tour, they took us to these crazy old temples and then there's that was the thing. I'm like, oh, it was really odd. I thought, what is that? And why do the bees make the same shape? Those are crystals though, aren't they? Aren't those a, a production of a crystal formation? Well, I don't know. I thought it was called like rock or something. Yeah, you know, well, I, I think actually, I think those are, I don't know. You know what? The devil's yeah, post my, pile my, is my lava. Here. The it, devil's post pile is lava. I have yeah. no idea why they did and that. It, and it cools. But I think that the whole point is like in nature, a hexagon is a really efficient structure. Let's see, you just said, okay, thanks for answering that. I never put that together. But I did meet a beekeeper in Armenia because they were um, selling food at the, you know, at these tourist sites. And it's late in the year, like nobody wants to go and travel in November, but there's still people there. And this really cute old lady sold me honey. And I, I think she also had a bunch of boozes with, she had all their homemade liquor, all their vodka. So she's like, let's have it. And we taste it all of her hooch. And then she sells me a little honey. It wasn't expensive. It's terrible. It tastes like it was sugar water. And then she just put a piece of wax in it and it tastes like smoke. So then I was like, okay, so you smoke oh, your bees cool. so much that the the honey tastes like smoke. So I brought it home, but it's terrible. I just sometimes let people taste it just to say, what is this? It's different. Different places in the world have different traditions. And the thing is, is if they don't have a lot of honey production, they do water it down with sugar water. And she specifically said that. 
I don't we know not that I speak uh, Armenian, but someone translated for me and I was like, Oh my god, she was full of shit. But well, yeah. <laughs> she's just trying to make she a sale. So she's a poor old lady. Yeah, she's that she doesn't have anything, you know. My favorite thing is when people bring me honey, you know, I'm a beekeeper, so I have more honey than I've ever had. And I love trying different honeys, but then they start bringing me honey from all over the world, right? You get all these honeys from, and just, you know, it's like, why'd you bring me this? You know, the worst honey ever, if you've ever had a chance to try it, is almond blossom honey. It is, it is hideous. It's, it's astringent. It's horrible. They don't produce a lot of it during the, the pollination um, season, mm -hmm. but if the honey that is produced, it's just, it's, it's atrocious. Mike, some um, bunch of people had um, hives up in Lafayette, like, I don't remember, all the way up by the park, mm -hmm. up by Release Valley Road, my street, where I used to live. And they had a honey um, harvesting party where all the beekeepers got together to process because it's easier and had a, big, a lot of help and they had a little party. So someone gave me their honey bear, you know, from there as a, you know, a little t uh, present. It was revolting. I was like, what did you people do to this? It, was it like you only fed your bees sugar? 100% of the time, or they like ate some fucked up plant. Like it was, I threw it out. I, I you promise you, I have never thrown out honey in my life. I was like, ew. So in, it, there's, there's two types. Of, there's either the pine tree that produces a little bit of nectar on the tip of its, of its um, uh, branches, leaves there, or from oak trees. And depending on the time of year and depending on how dry or how wet it is, bees will go to collect both that it's a honeydew. Well, it's dude, fun. I have all those trees at my house and left yet, and they didn't taste like that. My, well, my honey tasted delicious. The right amount of time to let the bees go and collect a much more oh. vast. It's because it, you can niche harvest and get niche flavors. I was just doing that because we were having a, a honey cheese tasting before the apocalypse happened, but that so it got canceled. So I was working with a cheese buyer at Market Hall in Oakland. And she, she got all these cheeses donated by all the cheese makers, which were amazing. And then I was trying to provide like five different flavors from my hive. So I got one frame, frame at a time and got it. I got another frame. And then she and I sat there and tasted them all. She's like, oh my God, this one's so good. And then it turned out we liked the blend the best. When it was all done, we're like, yeah. oh, the blend is kind of the best. So it it all out. It's delicious. I, I thoroughly impressed her. She couldn't believe I could do that. I'm like, yeah, I can't believe you got all this cheese and worked in this industry for 35 years. Food is good. No, it's awesome. Hey, this makes me think of mead. What about mead? Have either, have either of you made mead? No. no I refuse to. Uh, no. There's only one mead that I've ever had that I've liked. So there's some, this, this, this couple, these guys, and they were easily both six foot six bald tattoos on their head you know just you know the, the on their motorcycles and they buy honey from me you know these guys were a couple they're meanest looking guys and they made and now i think they live up in redding but they made a mead the only one mead that i've ever actually and it's a sweet mead and it was called fairy dew and to have these big you know, <laughs> nasty looking guys make this stuff. It was the only, but every other meat I've ever tried is, is foul. It's just not my thing. Okay, Mike, I, um, because my um, host, my co-host um, wanted to, Lynn, she wanted to try some meat. We, she went to, there's an Ethiopian restaurant in San Francisco that was doing well. And he makes it, he says it's not meat. He says it's honey wine so in different. the Ethiopian tradition. Yeah. And it's kind of good. Because it's, it, it, I believe they put a yeast in it versus letting it ferment naturally with the natural. That's it. That's it. It was actually sophisticated. It's uh, too sweet to have a glass of wine with your dinner, but if it's like an after dinner drink, like it was delicious. Yeah, yeah. an aperitif. Yeah. Well, I brew beer, and I, I use honey to brew beer. Like I do an apricot. I used to. I haven't done it in a long time. But an apricot honey ale or a honey stout. Um, for years, I was supplying uh, honey to several breweries like um, uh, Morgan Territory Brewing out in Tracy and they would build, they make a saison with honey saison. And, and then I do, I'm actually gonna start a, a brand of uh, root beer. I, I make a honey root beer that- Oh, we are gonna promote it for you. So listen, we already spoke for an hour because you are so interesting and we're so chatty. So I think we should, we should wrap it up. We all might need to go do something really important like get ready for our happy hour because that's all we do the, in this days and days we just drink. 
But Mike, there's no reason why you can't come back and talk to us more because you're so much fun. Also, you need to know this. You have been, you are our second guest who's a man, right, right, Sharla? That's right. So, because we're like, you know, we're like, hey, shut up and don't, oh, you know, actually, you know, you are actually, you have a wife and a daughter and I happen to know you like women and you're nice to us. Um, but that's what it started with was just trying to like, we want to talk and talk about ourselves and talk to whomever we like. And so we've only had one man on. We've had 30 something shows, right, Shar? I know we're already 30 something shows. 30. Well, so, so thank you, you should be honored, but I'm just kidding. You're lovely and we like you a lot and let's do something else. And I know now that we're not going to run into each other at um, Melissa's, which is so sad, we're going to find reasons to hang out. Absolutely. Right. Well, uh, you got to get my wife dancing. She just is getting her, her yoga instructor's license. So you guys need to get together and stretch and dance. Tell her to either text me or send me um, a, a, an email. I am teaching Zoom classes and lots of people are coming. It's really fun. So, I okay. I would love that. Well, listen, Mike, I want to talk to you again and hear about all of your product development ideas. Okay. That I, is a, that it would be a show in and of itself. Well, I've been doing it for a long time. Um, I took a side, a couple of side uh, uh, turns and started a honey company and then you know, I'm back to product development. I it's, it's my passion, you know, between. I know. And you're very clever. You can do it. I will. So thank you. Eagle. Thank you. Hey, I talk to you soon. You okay. We're going to, we're going to send it thank to you and all that stuff. We'll send it to you and we'll share it with B people. That'd be awesome. Thanks thank Mike. You. Have a wonderful Bye. day. Bye-bye. Be safe and healthy. We will. You too. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.